right, everybody, one, two, three. Hello, ACB Radio, yay! Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you um, someone who has contributed so much to this year's Top Dog presentation with her own personal expertise and with people that she knows. And so I came up with the idea of this, this presentation and then I began to be wondering how am I gonna get somebody to do it? And I kept running into walls and locked doors until I talked with our friend Janine Stanley from the Guide Dog Foundation. So hello and hooray for Janine. So without any further ado, I know we've all been looking forward to this program presentation. I'm going to introduce you to Janine who is going to introduce our very excellent speaker on this subject. There we are. Alrighty, folks. And for those of you who, cheer, who cheered for me, the check is in the mail. Uh, well, I'm going to move this right over here and try not to deafen John with too much mic noise. There we go. Um, it is my pleasure to introduce Candace Collender from the American, the, now see, I knew I was going to get that. Association of Flight Attendants, thank you. This is what I get for doing a presentation right before this. Um, she is a very skilled person in her own right, but I met her as part of the regnig process for the revision of the service animal definition. So Candace was one of our participants, and as I got to know her, I thought, I'd love to get her to come present to us at some point. And as part of the Association of Flight Attendants, Candace does a number of things, and I'll let her tell you about them. But what we're here to learn about today is emergency preparedness on an aircraft. So I'm going to turn it over to Candace Collender. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you, Janine, and everyone else for allowing me to come out here and present to you. Um, as Janine said, I've been doing this for a little bit. Uh, I have been a 21-year flight attendant, but I have also been doing aviation safety in relation to improving uh, passenger safety and health on board the aircraft for pretty much that same amount of time. Uh, my job with the Association of Flight Attendants is to work on a lot of the regulatory requirements. I also do uh, aircraft accident investigation for our flight attendants union. So uh, that is part of why I'm here today, to help you understand some of the things that we learn from accident investigations, but mainly because what we learn is how to help improve survivability survivability of all the occupants, which is the primary focus of why your flight attendants are on board, why our pilots do all the training, flight attendants do the training, and why most simply, when you come on board an aircraft, we brief you with that announcement, giving you all of that specific safety information. So I have, I'm gonna do this a little bit more informally. Um, I have a question for the group. How many of you think that if there was an aircraft accident, that it is survivable? Or 
do you think it's not survivable? Raise your hands if you think that it is not survivable. For us or the general public? Okay, so I'm just gonna go with general public right now. All right, so are aircraft accidents, for the most part, statistically, do most of the occupants die or do they survive? Raise your hand. They survive. <laughs> I think the, okay, so in, uh, for our audience uh, on the radio, the majority of the people actually did raise their hand that they actually still survive, which is correct. But in histor historically, guess what the answer used to be when people came on board aircraft? They didn't. Everyone thought, oh my goodness, the five o'clock news, the six o'clock news, all they do is they play those stories about that everyone did not survive the aircraft accident. But that is not true. We have made so many strides in aviation safety over the years, um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. So I'm gonna give you, this first couple minutes is gonna be a little bit more technical, but I think it'll help you to understand as we start to work through how this information can help you when you travel on board an aircraft, okay? So there's two ways that we help prevent accidents or prevent fatalities on board aircraft. One of them is that, first of all, you prevent the accidents. We build aircraft certain ways. We design in all of these different engineering standards. Um, and then all of this really is about protecting you as the occupant. So when we design things on board aircraft, really we sort of put you as the passenger in this little bubble. And what we're trying to do is protect that bubble to ensure that should something happen, and again, statistically it's rare, but should something happen that we give everyone inside that little bubble, you as an individual, the, the chance to make it towards an exit and get off of that aircraft in, in one piece. So, we do, again, it's very important that you do understand that statistically accidents are rare, all right? That's for everyone. So there's different studies in the US, the National Transportation Safety Board is the agency that investigates, does investigations for accidents. So just to give you a little bit of information, they did an 18 year study and on that study, they looked at 568 accidents. And of those 568 accidents, 95%, 95% of all of the occupants survived. That was 51,000 people out of those 568 accidents. So statistically, again, the numbers are small. Now, even out of that, during the 18-year period, there were a couple of situations which we call non-survivable accidents and that would have been TWA 800 in 1996, um, and then also uh, AirTran, which was also in 1996. So both of those, those actually raised that data up even more, right? But if you took out those two accidents, the statistics for survival increases even more. So if you think about it, what's happened over the last few years since 2010, during that 18 year period, we did have some accidents, but since 2010, guess what? 
We've had zero fatalities in the U.S. aviation industry. And just to clarify, in the U.S. aviation industry, I'm talking a large aircraft. So because I do represent flight attendants, statistically, we usually look at accidents or we look at those numbers for a flight that would involve a flight attendant. So when I say zero, zero accidents, zero fatalities since 2010, I'm talking about a large type aircraft where you will have a flight attendant that's there to assist you. Small regional type aircraft, you know, the ones that don't have flight attendants, private use aircraft, those, those type of uh, aircraft are not counted in this data. So if, you, if I have any data crunchers out there, I'm just clarifying the data so you don't come back. And again, uh, I will be honest, this data is related to the United States of America. Um, internationally, the statistics are a little bit different, although internationally aviation safety is also um, getting better. So one of the things that I think is interesting for, for you folks to understand as passengers on board my aircraft, when we talk about even some of these accidents, um, we do a lot of preparation for us as flight attendants. So flight attendants by regulation are required to go to training every 12 months. And during that 12 months, what we actually do is we go through scenarios where we would have passengers on board and we would then practice evacuating an aircraft. Like you folks in your daily life and me at home, everything becomes second nature. So we try to do hands-on training with flight attendants. We have them touch the doors that we use for evacuation. We have them touch the equipment. We use the equipment, and I did bring some of the equipment here uh, because I do understand from Janine that that is one of the things that people always wonder, even regular passengers when we're on regular flights. You see us do the demo, but everyone's like, yeah, okay, can I really use that? So I've brought a couple of the samples. Um, so eventually we are going to, I brought some uh, life vests because this is probably one of the most difficult pieces of emergency equipment that you would encounter. We have um, the oxygen mask. Again, just if we can, we can touch and feel these things later on. Of course, the seatbelt extension, which is just a regular seatbelt. And then even though it may not necessarily be as common these days uh, on U.S. aircraft because we're slightly moving away from these, um, I do have a seat cushion that would normally be used for flotation. So I'm going to have someone demonstrate how should you use a seat flotation cushion, what it would be like. Because although we brief you verbally on how to use these types of equipment, the reality is even as a flight attendant, sometimes it's difficult. So we're going to have a little bit of an ability to kind of touch and feel some of this. So again, a little bit back to sort of the technical part. So if half of the accidents are survivable, do you think that's just luck by all of us? No. 
No, it's not. Over the years, again, just for the technical part of it, what we have done in aviation is we have very, very closely studied aircraft accidents. We, sur we study the survivability rate. We study, as I remember how I said, that little bubble around you, we study if something happens into that bubble so that would hinder anyone from getting off an aircraft. So over the years, some of the things that we have done, we've made the aircraft structure. I don't know if anyone flew many, 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 many years ago. But if you think about it, when you go to an emergency exit, you know how the demonstration always says that you'll have a slide that'll inflate, you're gonna go down the slide. Well, part of our history in aviation is that slide used to not be there. So what it was previously, and this is how I, I'm kind of giving you one example of some of the improvements over the years, but back in the 60s, eh, early 70s, what used to happen is the, the stewardess at the time would uh, take, open up the door, and then they had this piece of material which was color-coded to be attached to the floor of the aircraft door. So they would have to match up the little color codes, put it into those little things, and then it was a plain piece of material, and then the stewardess would ask the first two gentlemen, because it was always gentlemen, the stewardess would ask the two gentlemen to go to the bottom and hold the slides of the sides of this piece of material to allow occupants to jump into it. Sort of like a slide. So that's our history. Nowadays, what happens is, is when we open up these doors in an emergency mode, they open very quickly. They are designed to be opened up within 15 seconds. So what would have taken us minutes and minutes before now is supposed to, by regulation, be open and ready for an emergency egress within 15 seconds. So along those lines, you as passengers then get a faster evacuation to those exits, out the aircraft, and increasing all the survivability. Seatbelts, seat design. Historically, back in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of our flight attendants actually were susceptible to this the most, is even if an aircraft would survive the impact, what would happen is your seat and my seat would fail. In other words, it wouldn't survive, it would break or something, and a lot of our flight attendant seats were doing the same thing. So we have made huge strides in aircraft seating. One example, and it, again, it's an engineering design. We design seats, we design the metal, we design that entire structure so that it can take a certain amount of G's on your body. Again, very technical, but these are important things that I thought you guys might be interested in. So your seats that you sit in on board an aircraft, on these new aircraft, are designed to withstand 16 G's. And guess what? Your body can take that. Yes. That's why we design these aircraft for the way. But, quick question to you. 
Do you think when your flight attendants give you that briefing and they say, in the event of an aircraft accident, please take the brace position? I've never heard anybody say that. So does anyone know what a brace position would be if your flight attendant ever said that to you? Hello? Yes. Okay. So, yes, that is no, that is correct. So, when we say that, and the reason being is if you think about things, just even in a car, right? Our bodies are designed for certain things. So, when a flight attendant, if you ever got in this situation, says you're going to need to brace for impact, and guess where the brace directions are in the hard <laughs> I yes that is a concern so one of the comments over here was it's great that we in aviation provide this beautiful color coded card with all of these pictures but the reality is is right this isn't necessarily perfect for all of our passengers right so one of the things um, some airlines and not all I will be honest we haven't quite perfected everything yet, but there are some airlines, and we are trying to actually, through the Association of Flight Attendants, is make an international standard that would <clears throat> at least say that we have to have equal access to this type of information for all passengers. So that would say that we would have to then make uh, Braille cards available for all our passengers. Although, um, I have been informed by Janine <laughs> Not realizing, and, and you know, it's also a learning lesson for me, that not all uh, sight-disabled people can actually read Braille, which I had never realized. So for that, I see how we all learn everything. It's only about 15% to be precise in the United States and worldwide, it's probably about less. So the, the comment for the radio was that someone had said it's about 15%. So again, we all have to think then working together, what is it that we can come up with that will accommodate the rest of the occupants that can't visually see this, that can't read braille, where do we go to next? So it's, it, we just have to keep working through it and making more <coughs> inroads to solve the problem. But regarding the brace position, you all kind of got it down, right? Forward, and the reason being is because any, even like in a car, sort of, except for um, you have an airbag in certain situations, in certain seats in a car. We also have airbags on board aircraft now. We do have airbags in certain rows. Usually it's the first row in a coach seat cabin. Um, and that is actually designed because remember how I kept talking about this bubble? You guys are going to get so sick of this bubble <laughs> at the end of this. But this is how we protect you as occupants. So the closer we get occupants to seats in front or to walls, the better we have to protect you. Because remember how I said your body can take 16G? Except for one part of us, your head. So the seat belt on an air, the inflatable seat belt on an aircraft is designed to help insulate you from hitting a wall in front of you. 
So what we've used in aviation technology, I mean, in automotive technology, we've also moved into aviation now, right? I have a question in the back, hold on. Brace position is just leaning forward? So the brace position is, yes, it is leaning forward because what you are trying to do and this is very important, is if you, in an automobile, in a car, an airplane, all of our body, we have a forward momentum, right? So we're moving forward. <coughs> so the motion or the direction of the energy is moving forward. So what's going to have to happen is as we move forward, we want to move our body forward, which is why, to your question, we lean forward. We want closer to anything that we might hit the seat back the seat back in front of you because then it you build up less energy. Now this is very technical. <laughs> but just understand that if you're ever in a situation your brace position is lean forward, putting your hands wherever your flight attendants tell you, keeping your feet flat on the floor because you're trying to get forward if you're in a forward facing seat. We do know that we have some, uh, I think Southwest might be the only one, who has some aft-facing seats. And in those particular ones, um, you would actually, again, because if the, if the motion is going towards the front of the plane, on those particular seats, you would just lean back. But statistically, their majority of their seats are all forward-facing, so lean forward. One more question, hold on. Yep. We'll do one more question and then we'll ask you to save your questions until the end of Candace's presentation so we can make sure that we get through everything. Alrighty? This is Jean from New Hampshire and my question is in cars you have the seat belt with the lap and the shoulder and I've noticed on planes it's just the lap so I'm wondering about that. So in aviation again it's sort of a different dynamic. The seat in an aviation air, an aircraft is built differently than a car. Your car seat doesn't actually, the back of it, doesn't go forward. In aviation, originally, historically, what would happen is where you, your backrest, that was designed to actually fold forward in a crash. So how you have a shoulder harness in, an, in a car, we don't have anything to mount a shoulder harness on in aviation. Because if you think about when you're flying out there right, but along those same lines, so we don't do it except for in some of our different seats which are designed because of crash dynamics. But let's talk a little bit about the seatbelt then. What do you think is the most important part of the seatbelt on board aircraft? Besides, I hope you all are going to answer actually wearing it. <laughs> Making sure that it is tight around your waist hips or your hips yes so the 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 way that these work the best is literally if you wear a seatbelt and you wear it low on your hips because guess what's on your hips people that nice hard bone and that's what we want our seatbelt sitting over if we put it up too high then it's all on our soft tissue and those extra 10 pounds that I've put on my little belly section. <laughs> so we don't want that. 
So when you're flying, you want to keep your seatbelt on, always tight and low. We say it agnosium in our announcements, right? And in the 21 years that I have been flying, how many times do you think I've had to ask people to put their seatbelt on? A lot. A lot, correct? And how many times have I seen the seatbelt stretched all the way to the very end, just sitting there hanging sort of? Do you think that's going to, one of our most common injuries towards passengers, not even an accident, is what? Seatbelt, well, seatbelts because of turbulence. So what's the announcement that we make these days for all passengers? Please keep your seatbelts fastened at all times during the flight, even if the seatbelt sign is turned off. And the reason we do that is for turbulence. We have not predicted, or the aircraft environment has not predicted yet, to see clear air turbulence, which is usually the big problem for all of us. The pilots can't give you the warning that says, flight attendants, we're going to be having some turbulence encountered, so please sit down. Clear air turbulence, which is probably our biggest problem, is one of also the biggest nemesis for all of us. Because if passengers aren't seated and when they're just riding in general with their seatbelts fastened, you can be subjected to turbulence, and we have a lot of turbulence injuries. All right, so along those same lines, um, if we think about how we help uh, to uh, make your life safer, one of the things that in looking at all that data from the National Transportation Safety Board Statistically, I mean, just so you understand what happens, we talk, we know now that aircraft accidents are survivable, right? So, if you are involved in an aircraft accident, the reality is, is there's usually two ways that a passenger can succumb. The first is from impact, and that basically is just that, and, and neither you nor I can do anything about this. The impact is just basically that you have landed in a certain way and your body just wasn't able to absorb the energy. And the other one is fire. But the reality is we have also made huge strides in protecting you from fire. Everything on that aircraft, ladies and gentlemen, is de designed to be fire resistant, fire retardant. The walls, the seat cushion, this seat cushion has fire retardant blocking all on it. And it's designed because what happened early, early, early in the years, 70s and 80s mostly, we didn't have all the material that we have on top of these seat cushions at the time. And although all of our occupants would survive a crash, what would happen is the old material was actually toxic when it burned. So what now is in your aircraft cabin, all of this material, again, your walls, the drapes, every single thing in there, overhead bin, all of that is designed to burn without toxic chemicals coming off. And that is, again, to increase the chances of survivable for everyone, right? So then what happens? We also have different evacuation procedures in place and and the aisles. Why do you think uh, we get so, as, as flight attendants, we keep saying, 
please make sure that your carry-on baggage doesn't block the aisle. Please put it underneath the seat in front of you. Please make sure you put it up above. Are we just doing that just because we're being mean? That that is the answer was right. You did you have all these answers? She's been this young lady has been telling me all the answers the whole time. That's your escape route. Just as this aisle out right here towards this door takes us out in the event of emergency, we also have in this room you have the red exit signs. In aviation, we have the same requirements. We have minimum aisle paths, but the reason we ask, and so this is how you folks can help. The reason we ask you always to make sure you slide your bags all the way completely forward is just so that, let's say you're in a three-seated row, so that everyone can get out to that aisle and everyone can get to the exit quicker. So these are some of the things that we do in order to, again, the whole point of all of this is to help you folks, as we train yearly, every 12 months, we train on our commands and how to give you that oral evacuation um, notice because the reality is is if there is any smoke involved you won't be able to see the exit anyway someone actually said we can't anyway that's true so <laughs> interesting <laughs> we can't follow the lights and yes and that and i actually was going to say those are one of the things but the reality is is who else is on board that aircraft that can assist you folks if everyone's moving in a certain direction, and let's say some of your other passengers are able to follow that light, then for you folks, what do you want to do? Follow the passenger. Grab their butt, grab whatever it is, and just start following them. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I sort of, I'm trying to make it a little bit funny for you, but, but this is the reality, right? I mean. We all are being, we all, we all can be put in very difficult situations when something like this does happen, even if it is statistically low. You want to take advantage of whatever's happening, or happening around you. The flight attendants are gonna give you their commands. You're gonna hear them, and you, that's why we yell commands a lot of times. It's that even if there is some kind of visual block for all passengers, that at least they can hear what's being told and go in the direction of the voice. So in that sense, you have to, I mean, we have used some knowledge that we have learned from other people to say these are things that help us. We've studied things like um, strobe lights at exits to see if that would be a better way. They've, I think they, they studied it also uh, maritime at one point to say that these things help. And actually what happened was I think they they found out that it makes us a little bit more nauseous than anything. <laughs> so we, we haven't used that, we have not used that fine technique yet to get to, to emergency exits. And I did see your question over here, so I'll get to you in just a second. Um, so those are some of the tools that you can have. I do actually in the back of the room, and, and I am going to apologize, I am a, text person and the Association of Flight Attendants, we do not have a braille writer, um, but at the same time, I did create a couple little fact sheets for you that I put in the back. One is called about aviation safety tips. 
And on the other side, it talks about how to stay healthy during travel. So, um, and then we had another one that was just called the flight attendants as first responders. And then for if you guys want to take some too, again, um, just to pass out to whoever, it's actually a little bookmark, but you can use it for whatever you want. And really what it is, it just talks about listen to your flight attendants, stow your bag, um, make sure you keep your seatbelt fastened, look at the passenger briefing card. So those are little things that you guys can have. Um, again, we, my organization doesn't have the ability to put them into braille, but at the same time, I wanted to give you something to take with you. Um, so again, when we talk about um, accidents, or when we talk about surviving an accident, one of the things, I talked about it, right? Statistically, it's low. How do you help, how can one of the biggest and most important things, no matter what I do to help design a safe aircraft, what do you think really is the most important, the most important tool to survive in an aircraft accident? It's actually education for yourselves, giving you folks the knowledge of what you should do in an aircraft accident. Because if you don't even take some personal responsibility, I can yell commands day and night, day and night, but if people don't follow them, then there's only so much that I can do as a flight attendant. So one of the biggest and most critical parts of aviation safety is honestly the passengers, you folks when you travel, taking the initiative to also look around feel around, know what's around you, and have a plan for an emergency. So some simple things, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you are already doing this. I mean, we teach to a lot of the sighted people. Count the number of seats from your seat to the exits. Correct. The, the question was you can't do that when you can do the seats, but who is, but who is also on board the aircraft that could assist you? The flight attendant. <laughs> and we have, and there, there is a comment that the flight attendants don't necessarily brief as much as we should. And we do recognize that. Um, you know, we, the Association of Flight Attendants sat on this working group to recognizing that not all carriers are created equal. We do have, <laughs> so just to, just to clarify, so the Association of Flight Attendants, we represent 16 different airlines in the United States. We have nearly 60,000 flight attendants, and I can tell you that at those 16 different airlines, training is can be very different for each of those different airlines. So our commitment is to try to work with the airlines to say, look, here's, here's something where we need to enhance, and that's why we sort of sat on the, the working group with Janine, um, to say, what is it else, what do we need, what kind of better training do we even need for our flight attendants in order to assist So the, 
So the com- the comment just for those on the radio was um, that often flight attendants tell passengers when because we are required to do a specialized briefing for any uh, occupant that may need assistance in an emergency. So that means parents with children, uh, elderly elderly passengers. Um, uh, just all passengers that that may need assistance in an emergency. So the comment was that flight attendants tell the passenger tell you folks when we do our specialized briefing that in the event of an emergency, and I'm going to bet this is probably what it sounds like, in the event of an emergency, we'll start the evacuation and we will come back and get you when it's time. So the reason so I and here's it. So, in the, for those on the radio, the audience is like, "I'm not waiting," and I believe there might have been some explicit um, words in there too. Which is which? Well, we're going to edit it for the radio. We're not going to say those explicit words. And the and the reality is, folks, you're correct. You shouldn't. If you have the ability, and someone is in front of you, and someone can assist you. I do say that you you try to you move forward and get out of that aircraft. Because remember what, what did I say earlier? It's all about sort of self-help. Your flight attendants, even though we are we are required to make those types of specialized briefings to you prior to flight, um, we try to do everything we can. But it's also remember how I said grab the grab someone's butt in front of you and just follow them. That is sort of the reality of what may happen. The other reality, I'm just going to flip it over just for one second, and then I do see some questions in the center, and then I'll start doing some questions. One of the other things I actually see as a flight attendant in studying um, accidents, and this is my other thing, which is sort of the totally opposite. You know how you think that everything's going to be rushed and a panic, and everyone's going to be moving so fast? Guess what happens? It's slow motion. So they think about it. The flight attendant gives the command, and the passengers still think about it. And they're like, well, maybe I should, you know, I really don't. I just got a new Louis Vuitton purse. And I just don't want to leave that Louis Vuitton purse in the overhead bin. Yes. So that's it. Honestly, when I say how can you help yourselves, those are type of things. We say that announcement, leave everything behind for a specific reason. We don't want people standing in the aisles opening up overhead bins because it does delay that movement from your seat to the exit. So when you, if you were ever in the very unlikely situation where you heard this command, again, I do, I do suggest you move quickly, um, even if it is you know, grabbing someone in front of you and saying, hey, look, I need your assistance. Take me with you. And don't say it nicely. (laughs) I mean, honestly, so for flight attendants, we are trained in being assertive in an evacuation. It isn't a, hey, you know, I'll come this way. I got this nice door over here, right? It's not going to be that way. It's going to be... See the difference? So along those same lines, even if you're a passenger on board an aircraft and something happens and you need assistance and your seatmate, even if you don't even know him, just 
Grab him somewhere, touch him, because that's actually the best way to get someone's attention because these can be stressful situations. And I do want to talk a little bit about stressful situations and how it relates to us as occupants because guess who else is in this room that's going to be having an extremely stressful situation if something happens? Yes. So I think along those same lines, um, we do we do you as you as their parent need to sort of think of that how do you how would I ensure that if I'm having stress what it what is my what is my companion going to go through too those are sort of things that you know I'll be honest we don't know I don't know we haven't seen it happen yet what will happen in those situations so it's just for you personally to sort of think about um, how would how could you help your animal your companion on also helping you because they you and I get a briefing from the flight attendants they don't they get what you help them to understand in the aviation in an aircraft environment but when things start going wrong it could be very different for them I don't know the answer to that how you would train on something to that, um, but it's just for you to sort of think about. I mean, this this is supposed to be the open conversation, and how can we better help you to prepare yourself for an emergency, right? So one of those is how do you think uh, your animal is going to react or could react? Just don't get separated. So the, one of the comments is don't get separated. That would be most stressful for them. Correct, but okay, I'm going to be uh, so. I'm not going to sugarcoat this, people. The reality is, is that's not may not always be possible. So, what could happen? And, and again, not sugarcoating this in any way. Um, we have had situations where we've had emergencies, accidents, where occupants, specifically child children, lap children, have been found multiple rows in front of where they started. So. In those type of situations, that's also why our organization has sort of been trying to advocate to get children off of laps. To say that a child should be in a, in a child restraint. Um, we're traveling much faster in an aircraft than we are on a, um, in a car. But again, what happens is then you go back to statistically, aviation, we don't, we don't have that many crashes in the United States. So I think with that, one of the things, again, just to kind of I've touched on a lot of stuff, um, but I, I think what's what I see the most is there's a lot of questions in this room. So I'm going to open myself up to questions. Again, in the back of the room, please, one of the biggest things is when you're on an aircraft, please listen to the flight attendant. <laughs> but yes, they do. They do have to listen to you too. But I will be honest, um, you know, Janine and I have had a conversation in the past about, I as a flight attendant, remember I've been flying for 21 years, um, and I do see the hands up so you guys can put them down and then I'm gonna come around in a little bit. Um, there are some passengers that may have um, invisible disabilities, right? So if you aren't traveling with a service animal, then I as a flight attendant may not know. I'm gonna be honest, I, I, I can't read minds, I can't do things. So. If you are in a situation, <laughs> I know that's surprising, but if you are in a situation um, and you board a flight and you want that flight attendant to know 
that you're on board and that you may need assistance, then just, just let them know. Say, hey, by the way. Again, it, there are certain things that are obvious. If you're traveling with a service animal, I'm going to know. Then I'm going to be doing my briefing. Right or wrong, I, I don't know this gentleman's name, that yes, we may say certain <laughs> things, but the reality is, is that's what we're trained to do. Um, we are trying to work with airlines. We're trying to work with advocates like Janine and everyone to say, what's a better way to do this? It's not perfect. You know, years ago, no one got a briefing. No one got a briefing at the exit row until we found in accidents where we lost people trying to get to the exit row because no one knew how to open it up, right? So what do we do now? We brief whoever is an exit row occupant to say, here's what the exit door looks like. You need to open this in an emergency. So again, to, to kind of close out the more technical part of it, um, follow the instructions of the flight attendants. Do practice some self-help. I know some carriers would say that, you know, I shouldn't say that, but the reality is, is I mean, each of us are individually responsible for our own life. So advocate for your life. Um, look at the cards. If you don't, if you can't see the card, ask the flight attendants to say, hey, by the way, in this specialized briefing, just telling me that to wait is maybe not the answer. Would you mind telling me how many rows it is, is to the nearest exit, front and back? You know? Can't say that it's gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like it will be, but as even as we train my own members, my sixty thousand flight attendants, to be better um, listeners, then I think that ends up helping everyone in the end. Okay? So I think with that, we will open it up for questions. And I think there were some volunteers that were going to run the mics around. Yep. And, and then folks, I'm going to jump on the right. Please wait for the microphone for our radio audience. OK, you're good. She's OK. I'm a, I'm a locksmith by education, and one of the things that we've learned with life safety is that when you have a space approximately the size of a cabin of an aircraft fill up with smoke, no one can see after 60 seconds. And at waist height, you're lucky to see a strobe with a panic bar. So the likelihood of, uh, as we say, the CITES getting it right, uh, you might be helping them. So the, the, oh, this one is much louder. So the, the reality is, is that's why we built uh, floor level lighting systems. We actually do, you should stay low. We put the, the lighting on the floor actually has to be no more than three feet because it's estimated that the dense smoke will probably go down that far. Um, not only that, you only have X amount of time before that smoke also becomes toxic. Um, even though a lot of the in the structure in the aircraft these days is designed for non-toxicity when it gets to a certain point the reality is is it, it will become toxic so stay low um that's always been an you know like any even in your house fires right when we go to school we train train our kids you know stay low heat rises <laughs> so it's that same type of philosophy in an aviation there, there is a there is a, a limit. There is a limited amount of time. I'm not going to say how long it is, but again, that's why we say evacuations as fast as possible. Over here on the left. Hi. Hi. Would you give us some tips on the safety for our dogs, and also safety for our dogs in an emergency evacuation? 
So I think safety for your dogs that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, this one's a little bit difficult for me because we, I haven't seen any accidents where we've studied what helps them survive any better. My personal thought, and again, not knowing, um, you know, again, if, if, if you really were in that situation where you're going to have to brace, right, your, your, your animal, your dog is already at your feet anyway. So like you, you kind of want to get your dog as far forward underneath that seat in front as possible if you can. Um, what we used to do and, and sort of I philosophically sort of think of your dog as, a, as an infant because that's kind of really the only way I can picture how to, how to assist. Um, so you're going to want to make sure that your animal is restrained as much as possible in the, before you land. Then on landing, this is where I said, I don't know, you know, you're going to may have to be able to understand how your animal is going to react. Is your animal going to follow the path or are you going to need to assist? Going down a slide, I think it's pretty easy. You're not going to send your dog down the slide first, right? The evacuation slide. But you will likely, what you would have to do is either you or if you aren't strong enough is almost hold your animal, same as we are an infant, in your arms and then go down the slide that way. Okay. Okay, folks, hang on. We will repeat that again. So what I foresee happening the most is the way we trained, um, and again, this is the most simplistic way I can kind of say it, is when we talk to parents about children, because it is an, an individual, and so I'm thinking of your animal as an individual, they are trained actually to hold the child and go down the slide that way. So you will likely, because you're not going to be able to send your animal down on its own, it isn't a human, it doesn't, it doesn't like slides like we do, nor do mm -hmm. we in an evacuation either. Mm -hmm. But your best bet is then, if you, if you don't have the strength to hold your animal, but you're at the exit and someone else is there that can hold the animal, grab your animal as best you can, lift the animal up the way you know how or the way the animal likes it, and then go down the slide with the animal on your lap till you get to the bottom. So it's basically that you're holding. <laughs> this is all I have for display. I think the woman the woman took the CPR dogs, otherwise I would have used it. Um, but you know, if, if you thought about this as your dog, um, it's, this is all I got. So I'm, I'm improvising here. If you're going down the slide, grab your animal and take it down on your lap. Right. And we're going to do an audio description on, on this. Candace was holding, you know, whatever you were holding there. Seat cushion. <laughs> A seat cushion um, in her arms. So you're going to basically grab your dog around the waist, under the rib cage, and just grab them, throw them on your lap. If, if you're lucky enough to have a dog like mine who sits on your lap, um, <laughs> that's fabulous. However, um, and if you have to get the big burly guy behind you to do that for you, or in front of you to do that for you, fine. I mean, most people are gonna save your dog in an emergency because we've all been on that plane with everybody who loves your dog. Yeah, okay, I have a, a question in the center and then we're gonna move, sort of work our way around. Yes, sir. <laughs> hold the dog on their lap when they okay. go down the slide. Perfect, um, thank you. Another thing, I don't know what your capacity is, but an alternative method for marking the exit doors could be an audible beep or alarm. Yeah. 
Even sighted people could follow that. It, that has been studied as well. Um, they are studying. So the the question was whether an, an audio beep, audio beep, um, and they. So we have studied directional sound, um, and that's actually. They they looked at it, but what they what we actually found is that the directional sound from the flight attendant's voice does just as well if. And I will say if, if the flight attendant is yelling their commands appropriately. So we, we've looked at lights, we've looked at the um, uh, audio, <laughs> and then just the flight attendant. And then one last advice. If you did get separated from your dog, continue to follow the crowd out, get yourself safe, then call for your dog, and hopefully your dog can find you. Good point. <laughs> uh, I don't know who the, oh, uh, okay. Here I am. Um, I was, I fly quite a bit, and I was told that um, in the bulkhead, the reason they always advise with a guide dog that you sit up in the bulkhead is because there are four oxygen masks, and I wanted to hear that from you if, if that's true, and if you advise if there is smoke in the, you know, or if you lose oxygen, if it's good to use that mask on your dog. And the other thing I was curious about is when, like, JetBlue had a flight that dropped, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it dropped a lot. 10,000 feet. 10,000 yeah. feet. <laughs> um, just putting your foot on your dog's leash is probably not going to be what you can do, but it would be, you know, helpful maybe to some of us. But um, what would you actually advise if there's a huge drop like that? Because your dog is as much as... Uh, right, like having a suitcase fall on your head with they weigh correct, they or weigh. or a galley cart fly up and yeah. hit the ceiling right. and come back down. Right. So, so uh, the, on the first question, aircraft are designed different. We have the overhead oxygen masks. Um, there has to, depending on the aircraft type and configuration, if you're in, let's just say a, a Boeing seven thirty seven, it's a three three configuration. So you have three seats on the right, the aisle, and then three seats. Those aircraft are all rows, not just the bulkhead designed to have four oxygen masks up above. And the reason you usually have four, and this is also why we limit infants in particular rows, is that if there is an infant, then that you have an oxygen mask for the infant. In addition, flight attendants are trained um, to go from mask to mask in the event of a decompression to get back to their jump seat so they can sit down. We are also trained, just so you know, um, in the event of a major decompression, in other words, that the mass dropped down and you need that oxygen, we also sit on passengers' laps immediately. That's what we do is we sit on your lap, get on one of those oxygen masks, and ask you to hold us in. Um, and the reason being is because we also don't want to be up. And then we will be, then start getting up and moving through the cabin once we feel that the aircraft has pressure, come to a more stable pressure. If there ever is a decompression, what happens, and I think this goes to your question, is if you ha you're at a high altitude, aircraft are designed, and the pilots train for this, and so do the flight attendants. If you have a major decompression, that aircraft will take a dive. It's a designed dive, and it's a designed dive to take you from this high altitude to an altitude where you have better pressurization in the cabin, but you also are a better oxygen. The higher we are, and I think this does go back to the question of when I say, if you see oxygen masks, get on them as quickly as possible. 
the higher you are, the less amount of time you and I have as individuals, it's called time of useful consciousness, to get on board, to get on that oxygen. You have, let's say, 30 seconds at a low level, and then it gets higher and higher, and as you get higher, you only have maybe 15 seconds to get on that oxygen before you pass out. So now I'm talking high, high altitude flights. We're talking 45,000 feet average you know, we're not flying normally that high, but some of these, when you're doing these 12-hour flights, they're going up pretty darn high. So just um, along those same lines. Now, regarding, you, you guys, are, I'm, I'm going to be honest, the answer is probably not going to be liked in here to this, regarding the, your animal getting on the oxygen. The reality is those, those hoses are not long enough to reach down that far. They're designed to fall within your visual eyesight, so sort of in front of you, and that's about it, and then you have a little bit more distance once you pull it, and then it can get on your mask, but it is not designed to go all the way to the floor, and it's done that way because we don't want to create a tripping hazard in the event it's used. So I think one of the, one of, one of the things that... Sure, sure. And I'm going to have Janine answer. Yeah, yeah actually, um, we someone had a situation like this recently where the aircraft did a big drop and the oxygen masks came down. And she said, wow, I couldn't get the mask on my dog. It was laying on the floor under the seat. What do I do? And I said, get the dog up in your lap. Doesn't matter, you know, get them up in your lap. Call them up there, do whatever, get them up there to get that mask on. And... I wanted to, if I could, Candace, for a minute, um, answer the question about the dogs um, in the turbulence. Please, when you're on an aircraft or even on a paratransit van or something like that, please, if you have a slip collar, put it on the dead ring, put your leash on the dead ring, because if you get a big jerk in the aircraft, you're going to choke your dog. <laughs> um, put it on the dead ring, put it on, you know, um, if you use a martingale collar, put it on one of the side um, rings that hooks the chain, that way you're not pulling the chain and your dog isn't thinking it gets a correction every time the aircraft does a big jerk. You know, just something to keep in mind. So I think just really quickly, and then we're going to move on to some other questions. The question was about the oxygen mask. So this is basically what it looks like. It comes down, it falls. Um, you guys, these were still designed in the 60s and 70s, and we really haven't improved them since then. So again, if you're ever put in the situation in order to advocate for yourself, they don't fit very well. Um, so if you ever are in this situation where they come down, just really make sure that you try to get a close um, fit on your mouth. It's, you can see by me actually trying to put it on, it does, it's not a very pliable thing. So there is still a lot of air that escapes out. Um, so again, when I say advocate for yourself, if you're ever put in this situation, put it over your mouth and try to try to get it as close as a seal on your face as possible. Again, it's not the perfect design, but this is what we have. Was there any questions on this side? Okay. Uh, okay, one on the left, and then I'm going to start moving to the right-hand side of the room, your left, my right. Um, I have a, actually two questions. One, my first question is, a lot of these aircrafts now uh, like, for example, I know the ones that JetBlue uses are these um, A, uh, whatever, 21s or something. Airbus. Yeah, the Airbus. They're made in France. 
they're not even made here in this country, are the aircrafts themselves made to American specification to meet our requirements that are required by the NTSB. And the other part of that is that I've noticed, um, you know, many years ago, you could get things under your seat. Now I notice that there's all these wires and stuff under these seats. You can't put anything under there. And if you're sitting in the bulkhead like I did coming down here, they don't want anything like touching the actual bulkhead itself, which is fine. But your dog is now sitting, you know, laying down like kind of crossways on, you know, by your feet. So that aisle is not going to be clear because there is no way your dog's going to go under that seat. Right. So I'm going to address a couple things. Your first question was the uh, aircraft design. Right. Uh, aircraft in the U.S. and internationally are all designed to a Part 25 standard, which is an engineering standard, and that is pretty... Uh, it's pretty harmonized in European standards and U.S. standards. So evacuation purposes, stuff like that, everything has to meet the same rules. All airlines have what we call our 60-foot rule, as an example. You can't have more than 60 feet between exits. And that's so that you assume that if a person's at the halfway point, that 30-foot mark, you could actually make it to one of those doors. Anything further than that, we've decided is too far in the event of an evacuation, especially with fire. Um, the reason the seat under the seat, so aircraft are the same, Airbus, uh, Boeing, Bombardier out of uh, Canada, um, uh, we have uh, uh, some other, there's a couple other aircraft manufacturers and even the regional aircraft manufacturers are getting into bigger aircraft, but all of them have to meet what we call these part 25 standards, which is how we design. And basically remember how I said we design everything for a crash, that's a part 25 standard. So underneath the, seat in, underneath the seat in front of you, the reason it's getting smaller is because of the, the passenger demand for connectivity on board an aircraft. <laughs> um, we have to have somewhere to put the boxes, the entertainment boxes, and that's what's happened is they've gone underneath the seats in front. So even if you think about how I talk about crashworthiness, now we've had to redesign the seat because you have to incorporate that extra weight of that, that whole seat structure, those three seats or two seats, whatever it is, and how it's going to react in an emergency. So it's gotten smaller, nothing you can do about it. The passenger demand, and that's what the carriers do when they build the seats. And I think that was the questions. Yeah, um, it was just like, okay, now you have to hopefully put it over, you know, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think, so we'll try and get to, if we have some more time, I'll come back to the next question, but I think, you know, overhead and then underhead, I mean, it's all, it's all designed for a specific standard. I think this, um, someone over here, she's had her hand up for a really long time. Wait, before you do that, I just have yeah. one quick question uh -huh. for Janine. Uh, yep, yep, I'm sorry, we're going to have to, let's let everybody have a chance, and yeah, then no, we can come back to you, okay? All right, yeah, no, this and is I'm, I, And I'll hard. be here afterwards, so I can, yeah. um. Okay, thanks, Janine. I'll, I'll answer, I'll stay, I'm staying around for a little while, so. Um, I'm gonna do this this woman right here and then I'll come back there. She's had her hand up a really long time. <laughs> Two quick questions. Uh -huh. um, when you put the mask on, is it over your mouth or your mouth and your nose? And mouth and nose. Okay, second question is, um, when you go down on the slide, are you sitting or standing and how long is the slide? How long is the slide? A very fast ride. 
No matter, no matter, no matter the length of the slide. So um, aircraft are designed by different, different uh, part 25 standards. So any aircraft that the, the floor height or what we call the seal height, the bottom of that entry door you walk in, if it's over six feet from the ground, that particular aircraft then has to have what we call these emergency evacuation slides. Anything under six feet, in other words, from the ground, to the bottom of the, the doorstep into the aircraft, you don't have to have a slide. So you could have some where you find a regional, you may find a regional jet that has that, the stairway that comes out. Um, so the slides vary. Um, you know, on a 737, it's probably maybe, I don't know, 16 feet off the ground. If you're talking a double-decker Airbus A380, which is, uh, for building flight stories, something like that. Um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, high slide. Flight attendants with those particular airlines, we actually do jump out them. You have to jump out at least that high one at least once a year. I mean, not once a year, but once during your career. Um, the in <laughs> so it just depends. But it you know I mean all all the slides are what what they're designed. It, they, it's uh, I, I say it's a fast ride, but the reality is is the surface of those evacuation slides are also designed. It has a material on it that also stops it from burning because remember burning is important. But it also has a material on it that is designed to kind of slow you down with a little bit of friction as you go down the slides. So here's my other point to you as, as passengers. <laughs> Are so, you sitting or standing? Okay, I'll get to that. So um, when you guys travel, this really drives me crazy as a flight attendant is when I see passengers in shorts. Um, no long pants, things like that. I mean, the reality is, is if, if you were ever put in this situation as you're going down those slides, you're going to get rug burns the whole way down. Um, so that, that kind of, that just, you know, in doing this job for a long time. Now... Regarding sitting or st sitting or uh, jumping, we train and our voice commands are uh, jump, jump feet first, go jump feet first, things like that. Depending on the airline, they may have a little bit different commands, but usually you are jumping into it because you can get a better momentum. What happens is, and we do have some passengers that will also stop, sit down, and slide out. Um, but the reality is that slows the evacuation down too too much, also. So if you have, now I think this is the question, but also in your situation, because you have an animal with you, you are likely going to stop, sit, put your animal on your lap, and then go, okay? So there is, there is that sort of a difference, but for normally when we're trying to move it as fast as possible, the commands that your, all passengers are gonna be hearing are as jump feet first, go. Okay. Can um, I ask one more sure. quick question about mm -hmm. the slide? Sure. When you're jumping out, like how far are you jumping out before you hit the slide? So if, 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 um, okay, let's, for visual purposes, and I don't know how I'm going to demonstrate this on the radio. Um, <laughs> let's just say the front of this podium is the, where the door, the bottom of the door. The evacuation slide connects right onto the bottom of the door, so it inflates right off of here, so it is attached to the bottom of the door. When you jump into it, what you're doing is you're just running up here, running to the jump, and you're just jumping in. So you usually, you're, you're ending up landing either 
in the center, because remember the slide is sort of at an angle. It's not straight down, folks. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of on the radio. That's what I'm trying to do is to show it an angle straight down. It isn't. It's actually at a slight tilt. So when your body lands in it, because you're running here and you jump and you jump, usually your body will hit it sort of towards the center of the length of the slide, depending on the length. If it's a really long one, you're going to hit top or closer to the top and then slide the rest of the way down. Okay, I'm going to move on to another question because... Okay. Um, Hi, I have a question with regard to some of the training of flight attendants. I have recently, in the past few months, flown Delta, United, and Southwest. And rarely have I gotten a briefing unless I stop, so go, stop, I need to know what's going on here. But most of the flight attendants seem more interested in getting people in and the luggage stowed and into their seats. Yeah, are they trained to maybe pay some attention. I travel with a seeing eye dog most of the time. If you are traveling with a service animal, uh -huh. the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration does require that the flight attendants give a specialized briefing. Well, good luck. Um, so I think this is, but I think this is what, honestly, this is what Janine and I had talked about um, for those, I don't know, six, oh, six months um, together. Um, nightly sometimes, um, <laughs> that we had recognized that it does appear that our carriers are not training as effectively as they should. Um, so that was, again, it, you know, now, now that we even recognize it even more, but we did have the USFAA sitting on in those meetings <laughs> with us and kind of putting the little hammer out there saying, guess what? your carriers aren't doing this and your flight attendants aren't being trained properly. Now I will ask all of you, how many of you, when they come over to do the briefing, say, no, no, I've got it, thanks, I fly all the time. Guilty, guilty, Sometimes. guilty. Um, even if you fly all the time, ask. If you okay. are not sure of something, ask. Do you wanna know what my second pet peeve in life is besides the shorts? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> When I, when I brief the emergency exit row, which these days the airlines have moved to right or wrong, and this is their personal choice and not necessarily mine, that we sell our exit row seats now. And so we usually have high dollar occupants now in the exit row. And when I go to brief them and ask them to look at the card, they tell me, no, no, they've already heard it. They already know all of this. So the reality is, is I mean, I think along those same, like, the same lines as Janine said, each aircraft is different. I still, as a flight attendant, and I've flown for 21 years, and I know the inside of aircraft, I still, every single flight attendant briefing, I watch the flight attendant briefing, and I take out the emergency briefing card to look at it to see exactly how this particular aircraft is configured. And how long have I been doing this? 21 years. <laughs> and I can tell you, in those situations, I will never, ever, hardly, maybe once, once, Every few 10, 15, 20 flights, I'll see one other passenger pull out that emergency briefing card and look, and that's it. So advocate for yourselves. If the flight attendant is, if you have a flight attendant, and Janine and I have talked about this, if you have a flight attendant that's actually doing her job or his job, and they offer to do that briefing for you, please accept the briefing. Because then they also, what happens is, is you'd be surprised, we have hundreds and hundreds of passengers on our flights a day. And that one interaction between you and I, if I'm your flight attendant, will help me actually remember that I have you on board my aircraft in the event something happens. 
rather than just saying no, no, I don't need to, I don't need to have a briefing. Okay. Um, up in the front. Yes, this is Jean. I have two questions. One is, if we're going to jump on the slide and we don't land right at the bottom, we could cause congestion. I feel. I would be more comfortable sitting on that slide and sliding down and then moving out of the way. So I don't know if other people feel that way, but I feel uncertain about the terrain and how far the ground is from the slide when I jump off. So I would rather sit. And, and I think that the flight attendants be willing, just so you understand, um, part of our voice commands is also is the first two occupants or the first several people that come on uh, towards our exits. One of our voice commands just to help that situation is we, we tap the people. Remember how I said touching people is an amazing thing? Mm -hmm. We tap the people on the shoulders and say, you, you, stay at bottom, catch people, help people off. You, you, stay at bottom, catch people, help people off. And it's so that as people come down the slide, that there is someone to assist you. And if you should fall, and, and regular, everyone does it. We have it that those two people that we've asked to stay at the bottom will help pick them up and move them out of the way. Then that's more comfortable for me knowing that okay. somebody I'm not yeah. on my own. We do, we do that. And honestly, and we're trained also to watch because these are regular passengers and they may leave their job that I just gave them that I've paid them huge <laughs> amounts of the money to great, do. You know. Um, so we kind of watch that. I'm going to go right over. I have one more question. Okay. No, no, no. Let me, you know, I got about 15 shoes versus hands. sandals. Okay. Shoes versus sandals. Uh, always a shoes lace up, never sandals. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Cause remember how I was talking about the way your body, the motion of your body goes in the event, in the very rare event of an accident. Guess what happens if you have slippers on, they slide right off and guess what happens in an accident? You have you have structural damage, you've got glass, you've got broken everything. If you don't have shoes that don't stay on your feet, now you're gonna be running through all of that barefooted. Next. <laughs> okay, hang on folks, um, we can't hear you yet. So okay. let's wait for I, the microphone. I have a, uh, a question and a comment. So first question is, could you tell us again what do you do with your arms when you brace? Do you put them on the seat in front of you? Do you fold them over your legs and put your head down? Just describe that for me again, please. So the, the carriers have different brace policies or procedures. Um, some carriers are that you would lean forward into the seat in front of you and put your arms up above. So I'm the demonstra what I'm demonstrating is, let's say the seat is in cross and put it in front of you. So you're almost okay. leaning against it in the seat in okay. front of you. Other carriers actually have you um, still lean forward, because remember, we're trying to move as close to the seat in front of you as possible, mm -hmm. but putting your hands down to your side. So it just depends on your carrier policy. Okay. Now, you folks are going to have the animal with you too, right? So yeah. keep them between our feet. Keep them between or behind yeah. your feet or something like yeah. that, just because, um, again, motion's going forward. Next and the, question. And the comment I yeah. have is whenever we get on a plane, and I, you know, like we came down, we're in row 14. So there are just two quick questions. Which row has a window exit? Row 12. How many rows in the plane? 25. Well, that gives you everything you need to know without taking up too much of the flight attendant's time. If you're sitting behind the exit row, just to let you know, some right, of our, or, I'm going to, I'm going to confuse you even more though. Um, some of our aircraft will be configured that they'll have the first class seats are dated, uh, are numbered one through six. And then the first seat of coach starts 15. Or something strange yep. like that. Yep. So when when you're when you're asking the flight attendants, just say you know how many actual rows, how many feel touch and feely rows, okay? Oh. And then turn it. Mm -hmm. oh. 
just to make sure I'm on the right page. So when I fly with my service dog, um, is the flight attendant automatically supposed to do a briefing with me or do I have to ask? Technically, by the regulation, she should be giving you, he or she should be giving you a briefing. If your flight attendant does not give you a briefing, ask for it. Advocate for yourselves. Say, could you please give me, I, it, you know, is there anything special I need to, you know, played play sort of nice, even though it's kind of a bad, is there anything special that I should know in the event of an emergency? <laughs> Ask him or her like that, and they'll know what they're supposed to do. Hi, I always find on aircraft, I can hear the flight attendant, but frequently cannot hear the pilot. It gets on and give some directions or weather, and usually the microphone is very poor for the pilot announcements. So you were actually luckier than most people because half the time our flight attendant um, PA system doesn't work either. You sometimes get that. <laughs> so it's it's not as, you know, we we... It just depends on the aircraft. Some of the older systems may not have as good of a public address system. Um, pilots into the cabin I can't really say I mean the reality is is each aircraft is different sometimes you can have a very good audio system on that aircraft sometimes you may not and sometimes it really is just the flight attendant not pronouncing uh, speaking slowly enough or having too too deep of an accent so those are things that we the airlines try to advocate for in training um, but you know now you go back to human nature what's going to happen on board the aircraft and if you're on landing 10 and you're on a six hour delay i mean even i've done it sometimes moved much quicker through the announcement than i should have so candace uh this is judy thank you so much for all the great information um one quick thing and one question uh it would be really helpful if you could email the information on those handouts um to someone like uh, someone that's in charge and then they can send it out to everybody um, electronically and then uh, my question is did I understand correctly that the airbags in the aircraft are in the bulkhead seat and because a lot of people sit there with their dogs what does that mean for the safety of the dog some some aircraft configurations depending on the airlines may have not all aircraft do may have uh, the inflatable seat belt at the bulkhead seat it won't do anything for the dog because all it does is it kind of inflates the same way as your car airbag does. It just inflates right in front of you. Um, sort of if you think about it where the seatbelt is because it's, it's on your lower hip, right? It's just almost inflating into a V. Um, so I kind of made a V from my waist out and it just, same thing, it just, it tempers your movement of your head and then it just deflates I instantly also. So. The only thing, I think, because your animal is, if if you are holding your animal, that would be completely different because we don't put adults with infants in that seat for that particular reason because otherwise, once the belt inflates, uh, it would fly the infant off the lap. So we don't permit infants on the lap where there is a seat airbag. Um, uh, question of, okay. Um, hi. Um, uh, one question, one comment. Um, I just took four Delta flights 
I got briefed every time. As a matter of fact, it's, since it was the same type of aircraft, the last time I asked if I could brief him. So, and he let me in. He said I was right, and it was all good. So, good, but, good. Um, but anyway, um, the other thing is, and you may not have any idea about this. I'm not sure who you fly for. I miss that. I didn't um, actually say. Oh, it's, okay. Well, that's fine. Um, it doesn't really matter, except that I've just learned that um, one of the airlines in particular is um, beginning to charge for overhead bins. And, and when I, my problem with that is, is my dog is my luggage then because <laughs> that doesn't seem Te quite. Yeah, and actually technically no. And there is, there is more than one carrier that charges for overhead bin space. Um, ultra low cost carriers in the U.S. do it. There are probably about three of them already. One major carrier is moving towards the, yes, that's the, the, one business, yes. the business model of charging uh, for overhead bin space. But remember, when you have your uh, service animal, your service animal is not considered part of your number of... Uh, well, that as, was as my concern carry on, because I can't put yeah, my it's, luggage it's under my seat because <laughs> yeah. that's where my dog is. So. Right, and and I think that I'm assuming someone in this room would challenge that if that ever made it out of there. I promise you I, I would. Yeah. I would hope so. And and folks, I we are going to cut off the questions now. I'm sorry because we could be here all night, trust me. But to give you a chance to come and see the equipment for just a few minutes because Candace is on a, a schedule here. But I want to thank her for talking to us. And we will try to get copies, electronic copies of the handouts. So... Alrighty, and we're going to have Debbie for a quick announcement. Debbie's going to give one closing. Just, just one. Well, first of all, um, we are so grateful to you, Candace, as Janine has already said. For the ACB radio audience, our streaming will begin tomorrow at 945. If you missed Janine's um, group session with wayfinding devices, she will be doing it again tomorrow at 8, meeting up in the hospitality suite 1004. So we'll be back. Don't forget our um, wonderful entertainment dinner tonight with the band starting at 6. That will not be streamed. And all of our activities tomorrow, with the exception of the blessing, will be streamed. And so enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you at dinner, and then we'll see you in the morning. And I hope all of you get a moment with Candace. She was just wonderful. Thank you, everybody.